bringing you the latest research, tools, and common sense tips you need to get and stay healthy. It's Talk Healthy Today. Here's Lisa Davis. When I grew up, all I ever wanted was a dog. And my mother was afraid of dogs. And so I never got one. And the first dog I ever got was Bailey. He was a a pit mix and he was just such a sweetheart. I was 33 years old. I can't believe I'd wait that long. And I still remember he was in the back. We were at the shelter and he was in the back of the cage and he looked really sad. He had a big cone on his head and they said, you know, he, he got hit by a car and he might need surgery. We're not sure. And I was just crying. I'm like, we have to take him. He's so sweet. I didn't know what kind of breed. I didn't know anything. I just had this like instant connection. Uh, he lived 13 years. And a couple years later, we had Bobo, which was a, a Shedder separate, uh, excuse me. <laughs> I can't say a setter shepherd mix. He lived to be 15. So we had them uh, at the same time, which was wonderful. And now I have two other rescue dogs. And the reason I'm going on and on. And if you look at my Instagram or my Twitter or anything, you'll see a million pictures of, of my pit bull blue. I call him Mr. Baby because he's such an angel is because Peter Zoitlin is joining us. I am in love with his book rescued. What second chance dogs teach us about living with purpose, loving with abandon and finding joy in the little things. Peter, I'm thrilled to have you here on Talk Healthy today. Oh, thanks. It's a pleasure to talk to you. You know, Peter, I was reading this book to my 13-year-old daughter, and I'm literally tearing up, and there wasn't even anything sad. It was just so beautiful to read about you and Albie, and and, and I live, uh, you know, in New England as well, and, and I thought, wow, I do this, you know, these same kind of things that you're doing with your dog and out in the beautiful New England fall, and, and you talk about the lessons, and I love that you write the lessons that rescue dogs can teach us go well beyond simply improving our interactions with them. They touch us in far deeper ways that can change our human relationships, our habits, our mindsets and our lives for the better. And I just thought, wow, this guy is so right on. So let's talk about this, especially since you were sort of uh, uh, pretty much apprehensive for a long time about getting a dog. (laughs) I have to remind you of that. (laughs) Yeah, I was I was apprehensive. Um, That's probably a mild word for it. I was sort of steadfastly opposed. But my wife for years and years wanted to get a dog and the kids wanted a dog. And I was, I was too obsessive about our house to think about having a dog running in with muddy paws and, you know, listening to everybody promise how they were going to walk the dog in on freezing February mornings over the ice to do its business. And I thought, oh, that's going to be dad's job. Um, so I, I resisted for a long time and it wasn't until my younger son was, um, about to be a senior in high school and, I gazed over the horizon and looked at this empty nest, and I thought, boy, it's going to be quiet and lonely here. And uh, that sort of is what broke my um, my Berlin Wall of opposition to having a dog. Yeah. And I, I don't regret you it. Know, I, I'm so glad. I'm sorry. Go on. I didn't mean to. No, I, I, and I've never regretted it. Uh, you know, maybe it was just the right time for us, but Albie and we now have three rescue dogs, all from Louisiana. They're just, they fill up the house, you know, they fill it up with joy. And it's, you know, I say in the book, though, it's not always a hallmark moment every, every moment of every day. (laughs) You know, there are challenges. Um, You know, dogs have their anxieties. Dogs have their fears. Dogs have their bad habits, just like people do. Um, But part of the joy really is learning to adapt and to live with them and to sort of meet them on their own terms. 
I like that. You know, it's interesting. My husband and I were living out from in California. I'm from California. I'd never lived in super hot, humid weather, and I never lived in cold weather. And we had this opportunity in 2000 to move out here to where he's from in New England. And I didn't want to come. And he said, look, we're going to be staying in my parents. They have an in-law apartment, totally separate from their house. We won't have to pay rent. We can save it for a house. They have a fenced in yard. We can get a dog. I'm like, I was there at dog. Like, even if we had to pay rent or whatever, because that's like a lifelong, you know, dream of mine was to have a dog. And it was so wonderful when I got Bailey. And it's funny too, because there was this moment where, you know, we didn't really know he grew up with dogs. And somehow he didn't remember about the crating. So Bailey was six months old and we decided to just leave him in our apartment for uh, the day. We went to Boston to the train and we got home and the pile, I can't even describe how huge this pile books. And this was, believe it or not, uh, cassette tapes and everything in our house, pretty much or our apartment was chewed up. And I was like, what is going on? And then we're like, oh, yeah, he's only six months. I think we're supposed to create him. <laughs> It's like those things you have to learn the hard way, right? Well, those are the things, you know, you know, one of the reasons when people adopt a dog, and this can be any dog, whether it's a rescue dog or not, you know, one of the reasons things don't work out is we humans often have unrealistic expectations, and we forget that these are dogs, and um, they're going to do the things that puppies do when they're puppies, and they're going to change as they grow up. And I say to people, you know, the dogs, we do bring these dogs into our lives, and they do need to learn how to live with people and to live in a house. But more importantly, it's our job to learn how to live with dogs and to let them indulge their dogginess, so to speak, and not have unrealistic expectations about them. Um, You know, I I think that's one of the, you know, people go into this often thinking, oh, it's going to be, you know, that golden puppy running through amber waves of brain every day. And it can be a little more challenging than that. But I'm not saying that to dissuade anybody. The experience is very meaningful and it's very rich. And I think it's especially true when you bring a rescue dog into your life, a dog that, you know, would likely have perished in a shelter somewhere if you didn't step up for that dog, um, which is the case for all three of ours. Um, You know, who knows what, what could have become of them. And so you watch them enjoying life and running through the snow or sleeping peacefully. And you think what could have been And it makes the relationship all the more poignant for that reason. Oh, I think so, too. You know, I love in the book, you have interviews with different people. And and this woman, Andreas, uh, when you asked her or she said, why adopt a rescue dog? As Andreas says, you have a purpose when you care for them. It gives your life meaning. Dogs who might have been dispatched from this world without a second thought within the cold concrete walls of a shelter now will know what it's like to have their head stroked by someone who loves them. And by the way, the whole time I was reading your book, my pit, uh, Mr. Baby, his head was on me and his body Mm -hmm. was so sweet. And, you know, he actually belonged to this woman that I met with my lab. I'm very short. And I love pit bulls and they get such a bad rap. And I think they're such sweethearts. And my dog started playing with hers. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I'm so finally someone's being nice to us. I mean, he's such a sweet dog. And I instantly wanted him for mine. And she had a busy schedule. So long story short, I ended up taking him in three days a week for a year. And then she had to move. And and we're like, we'll take him. I mean, I was just so incredibly happy. So he would have gone to a shelter. And then my lab actually had been uh, given up by a family that or a couple that really didn't have time for him. And he was never socialized with other dogs. So that took a while. And, uh, you know, it's been a challenge, but the two of them together are, I mean, right now they're like puppy piling, you know, I mean, they're in my studio. It's such a nice thing. 
But it does. But see, one of them was known. I mean, I helped raise Blue, the pit. But the the lab, the lab was a little more mysterious. He still gets a little odd at times, right? And you notice that with Albie as well, because you don't know their history. So well, one dog's know. history I do know, and the other I don't, right? Well, you know, I think it's important for people to realize, though, that, you know, re- regardless of where you get a dog, whether you, it comes from a breeder or it's a rescue dog from a shelter, um, neither one comes with an absolute guarantee about their disposition or their temperament. But, you know, when you work with a a good rescue organization, they want these dogs to succeed. They want to set them up for success. And they vet the dogs. They screen the dogs. So you're not getting... This is one of the myths, I think, that that people make them hesitate. And I was one of those people about, you know, adopting what I call a second-chance dog. They kind of see them Mm -hmm. as, you know, damaged goods or, you know, they're going to have health problems or behavioral problems. And the fact is that that can happen in any, you know, with any dog, but not, you know, the vast majority of these adoptions work out really well. You just need to bring to it, and I think the dogs draw it from us. You just have to have patience and compassion, and especially when you, you know, you consider the fact that we are euthanizing close to three quarters of a million dogs in this country oh every year. God. Dogs, every That's bit insane. as sweet as our Albie and as sweet as your dog. Um, you know, it's just heartbreaking to think that, you know, people, you know, why buy a dog that's not in danger when you can give a dog that is in danger um, a great life? And, you know, most of the time they will repay you a thousand times over for your kindness. Um, and I think in many cases they, they just have an intuition about people. And I think that many of these dogs, particularly if they have been in a shelter, you know, they're, they're older than puppies. I think they just have an intuitive sense that something good has happened to them. Um, it's not to say it's going to be a smooth road all the time, but you know, we have kids and they don't come with guarantees either. Um, <laughs> <That's> for sure. <laughs> and you know, dogs don't, but it, you know, it, it, it all, it works out far more times than it, than it doesn't. I, you know, I rarely speak to people who haven't had a good experience giving a dog a second chance. Oh, I completely agree. You know, one of the things that I, my husband, and I still laugh about is the first night we got Benji. He's our lab. Uh, you know, it's time to go to bed. He, he, he literally just met us like a few hours earlier because we got him late in the day. He jumps on the bed and he looks at my husband and we, we joke around that he's like, I don't know who you are. Good night. And he puts his head on his chest. <laughs> we well, you know, that's because a... he's, he instantly, it was like, that was it. And you talk about that home moment. And for Benji, yeah. it literally was like two hours later. <laughs> Right. Well, that's, it's interesting that you raised that because I, I do encourage people to look for that yeah. moment. I mean, it may not always be so obvious that. when a dog is telling you that <laughs> you're his family and that your yeah, home that is his great. home. And, and for us, it took um, several weeks with Albie. He came here. He had been in a shelter for five months. He was about three years old. He's very lucky to survive in this high kill shelter in Louisiana as long as he did. And for the first few weeks he was with us, we couldn't coax him upstairs. He slept under the coffee table in our living room. We didn't know why. And one night, I went, I was going up to bed. I couldn't find him. And I turned the corner into our bedroom, and there he was, lying on the bed. And I Aww. tell people this was his leap of faith in a literal and figurative sense. He was, I think he was a little bit testing the boundaries, you know, saying, saying, is this okay? But he was telling us that he finally was comfortable with us. And to me, that was the moment he was announcing that he knew he was home. You know, that is so sweet because the situation with Albie was is so different. I mean, with my with Benji, my lab, 
he was only in the shelter for two days. So he was, I think they got him from a breeder and then they had him till he was a year and nine months. He was in the shelter for two days and then we had him. So mm. I, it's, I mean, you know, the trauma is, is so different. Although I don't know exactly what he experienced at home, but either way, that, that home moment is so nice. You know, another thing that I thought was funny in the book, and I was like, oh gosh, I call, I say I'm his mommy and my husband's daddy. <laughs> you were talking about that, about how, yeah. you know, we say that, but then now, but you, you, you it sounded like you kind of came around to that. I mean, I, when, when, um, you know, whenever I see my husband, I'm like, there's daddy. Like they just both perked their heads up, you know, so I got to watch the story. Well, you know, I had, um, you know, <laughs> it's funny you raise that. I, I, you know, I came to this, I kept thinking before we had dogs, I would hear people refer to themselves as mommy and daddy to a dog. And I used to think, oh, that just strikes me as so odd. And <laughs> I still don't actually refer to myself as daddy to the dogs or to my wife, Judy, as mom. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, my only caution yeah. is that if we anthropomorphize the dogs to the extreme, we don't let them live as dogs. Um, but I, I think everybody should do what they're comfortable with. Um, you know, I feel so close to these dogs. And, you know, I mean, I go away for one night. I miss them. Um, you know, they definitely do feel like members of the family. But I haven't, <laughs> it just hasn't come naturally to me to think of myself as daddy. <laughs> So I don't use that. I don't use that word, but it's fine if people do. Yeah, no, I think the point of anthropomorphizing is true. I mean, one of the things I, I had this uh, woman on the show a couple of years ago, a different one of my other shows, it's your health, and she was basically a you know dog behaviorist or something, and she was saying that you know if you leave food where a dog can reach it, it's your fault, not the dog's. A dog is a dog is a dog, and and it's funny because my daughter like she'll leave stuff on the counter she'll leave, and I'm like honey you got to put that all the way in the sink you got to you know cover it up or why don't you better yet put it in the dishwasher you know or whatever right. because it's amazing I mean we have we're getting our bathroom done right now and so far Benji the lab has taken this guy's like egg McMuffin kind of thing one of the workers he's taken a cup of coffee he I don't even I mean he was so hyper that day that was right. nuts but we called the vet and everything's fine you know so I have to watch everything when I'm making lunch in the morning we have for my daughter I'll say okay you have to stand and block where I made your sandwich. And then I'll say, hon, to my husband, you have to stand because I'm getting the snacks. It's like this whole thing. We've tried to train him out of that. I don't know. Maybe I heard a lab. Labs are more into food. But you, your, your dog's part lab. What's going on? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you know, they, this issue? they, well, Albie occasionally will counter surf. Um, but rarely. They mm. pretty much, I, I, we don't have that problem. But, you know, it. I think it's, um, here's the thing. I think people can try and train their dogs, obviously, you know, not to take food from the table and so forth. And of course you can yeah. partially do that by not feeding them from the table. Yes, but when it don't. does, but what more important is what happens, what's your reaction when it does happen? You know, if you're going to mm. flip out and, you know, yeah. reprimand the dog and, you know, just make it feel terrible, you know, I don't think that's the answer either. And I, I can tell you a little story. Um, there's a dog in the book named Noah. Mm. Noah was literally a throwaway. Someone dumped him in a section of Houston that's known for uh, abandoned dogs. He was extremely sick, um, had mange and parasites and infections, and it was a long road back to health for him. Uh, he was a rescue organization in Houston, Shaggy Dog Rescue, got it, nursed him back to health, invested many thousands of dollars in his care, and he had been fending for himself for God knows how long. And when he arrived at his new home, and he was living with a wonderful couple in Brooklyn, Linda and Andrea. And um, one of them, I forget whether it's Linda or Angie, takes him to work every day, and they have a communal kitchen there, and there's a surveillance camera. And one day, Noah wandered in, this was all captured on film, 
and somebody had set out a little breakfast buffet, and no one nosed around, and then he realized there was a chair next to the table, and he hops up, and he eats the entire breakfast buffet. And you think, here's a dog <laughs> that so probably funny. had to scramble for every morsel of food that it had for months. Can you really blame him? <laughs> Um, exactly. <laughs> you know, for helping himself to this delicious buffet. So, you know, I think if you have a sense of humor, understand these things happen, don't overreact. Um, that's the most important thing. Is, you know, dogs will be dogs the same way the kids will be kids. Uh, so, yeah. you know, well, let, let them live their lives as dogs and don't expect perfection. I am a huge fan of green juices. I love them. But the problem is I don't always have time to juice my own. And when I'm on the go, I'll notice there's green juices, but they often have tons of sugar because they use a lot of fruit. We want greens to be green. So you want to get Organifi. It is a great green. It solves a problem of juicing on the go. You just add it to water. You drink it up. Let your body soak up the benefits because it's a struggle. You know, it's hard to stay healthy. We're all busy. There's things going on, but we need our greens. So if you go to Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com and use the code TALKHEALTHY at the checkout. You'll get 20% off your order. So again, let's green it up, people. It's very important. Organifi.com. You know, Peter, one of the things in the book that totally reminded me of my dog, Bobo, um, we lost him in 2015. He was so hard. Another rescue. He was a Sutter Shepherd mix. So beautiful. He got along with every single dog except one. There's just one dog that they met and it was just like right from the start. And I, you talked about that with Albie, but then that became more with not just Vizla's with Albie, but other dogs as well. Or, or I think it was teens. But at any rate, it's funny, isn't it? How they can go along and do so well and there's no issues. And then there's just, it's almost like a person who you don't know them, but they just rub you the wrong way. Yeah, I think, you know, like people, I mean, as they age, dogs will evolve and, you know, their fears may shift or, you know, become exacerbated for reasons that we may never know. When we first got Albie for the first few years, I had no problem uh, going into the woods on these trails with him off leash. It breaks my heart a little bit that I can't do that now because his interactions became uh, more unpredictable around other dogs. It, it, It seemed to come about around the time we adopted our second rescue dog, Selena, who was a puppy. And I don't know whether he was being protective of her. Um, I, I really don't know the answer to that. But, you know, as a result, I have to be much more cautious because I just don't know, you know, how he's going to respond. And it, you know, some dogs just don't like other dogs. Um, and there's no necessarily, there's no rhyme or reason to it necessarily. Um, but these are, again, just some of the adjustments that we make as we go through our lives with these dogs. Um, you know, and, and you know, some of them sometimes... We can see behavior that, you know, is a little maybe disappointing to us, but our job is to try and, you know, nurture these dogs and help see them through, um, you know, whatever crises they're having in their lives, and maybe sometimes even having to adjust our habits um, to make sure that we, you know, don't have problems. That's why, for example, I have to keep Albie on a leash um, when we're in the woods. Um, you know, that's just an adjustment we've had to make, but I don't love him any any less for it. Um, of course. You know, I just feel badly that he doesn't have the freedom that he once had uh, in the woods. Um, but we adapt. Yeah, that can be challenging. Yeah, Benji has this horrible habit of charging people and dogs. He's amazing. He literally <laughs> like be going full speed. But like the second before he reaches them, he can just stop. But yeah. to them, you just see it. He's at like 85 pounds, this big white lab. They just see him. 
And even though he's a lab and you think, oh, he's just a lab, people people still get upset and it's frustrating. Whereas Blue, he just has more of this sense. He doesn't do that. He moves more slowly. He's super mellow. It's so nice. But now yeah. sometimes I'm like, oh, how do I? It's not fair to Benji if I let Blue free, but I don't want to punish Blue or not punish, but re- restrict him. He's not causing any issues except for people who are afraid of pit bulls. And then they yell and they're like, and then he goes up and licks their hand and then they feel bad. So, yeah. Right. But I do think we do. We, as you know, people who live with dogs also need to be aware yeah. that not everyone, you know, embraces um, having a dog, you know, run up of to course. them or, or jump on yeah. them. And, you know, so we have to you know, be attuned to that as well. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Sometimes people will just allow little kids to run up to a dog and you know, start putting their you know, and maybe a group of kids. That can be yeah. very frightening for a dog. And so not everybody understands that. So navigating, it's almost more complicated navigating the human relationships around dogs than it is the dog, the dog relationship. Um, oh, be, that is so It can be so pretty true. complicated. And that's why I think dog parks are such challenging, challenging places because <laughs> oh, uh, not everybody yeah. has the same philosophy about, you know, letting their dogs, have their dogs interact with other dogs. You know, that's true. One of the things I stopped going to the dog park with Bailey because my first, uh, my first dog ever, my pit mix, because, um, he's really humpy, but he just, that's just how he plays. He doesn't mean anything by it. He's yeah. fixed. It's no big deal. But people would be like, my dog's, a, you know, is male also. And I'm like, leave your homophobia at home. It says nothing. To do. <laughs> like, who cares? You know, and some people get so bent about it. So I'm like, this isn't fun, but that well, was a bummer because hard- a few bad apples, you know, ruin the whole thing. Well, one of the hardest things sometimes is, you know, we have, Albie and Selena, if you watch them play, you might think they were fighting. I mean, there's a lot of growling and baring of teeth, but it's totally harmless. This is the way that they play. But, you know, again, I think we we have a responsibility to other people, too, to, you know, to understand that they don't all have the same comfort level with what's happening as we sure. might. And so that's part no, of No, I know. I shouldn't have called yeah. them bad apples. You're right. I just felt kind of like, just let them be. But isn't that letting them be dogs, though? Because a lot of dogs play like that. Well, it's like yeah, a, it is. But you, but there yeah. has to be an understanding, I think. You know, if it's just somebody, a stranger and a strange dog, you know, in a dog park, you know, that's what makes it, that's what makes the, the human politics of a dog park so complicated <laughs> and why I don't really like them. Um, you know, yes. some people yeah, you know, will have people bring their dogs to your house if they're friends and. You know, they may have the same understanding that you do uh, and expectations about how the dogs will interact. That's fine. But it can be complicated. Yeah, that's why I don't go anymore. But, you know, Peter, I, when I read read this book and I'm just so taken with it and I love all the stories. And, of course, being like a pit bull fanatic, I love that picture of Jason. And what was it? Sugar Bear? Sugar Mama, yeah. Oh, yeah, Sugar Mama. Oh, my God. Is she a doll? Yeah, I, maybe we um, should tell people I, J, J, Jason was a prisoner yes. in 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 Florida, who participated in one of these Paws and Prisoners programs where they have prisoners yeah. socialize rescue dogs for adoption. And he developed such a bond with this dog that the rescue organization decided they should stay together. And she lived with him in prison for the last couple of months. And now yeah. he's been released as of last Christmas. And that dog just helped that him in that transition, you know, from being in prison for 15 years to the outside world. And, you know, it gave him his first non-judgmental companionship in so more important. than a decade. That dog didn't know anything about his past. Yeah. The dog didn't know it was in prison. And that's very important, you know, in helping him get ready um, for his release. It's a beautiful story. 
It really is. I know. I'm, I'm, I love that show, Pitbulls uh, and Parolis. You know, I, I got to let you go in a, in a minute or two. I don't want to, Peter. I could talk about dogs all day. <laughs> would you ever have imagined that you would write a book like this? I mean, it's so, you know, like if someone said to you, you know, 15 years ago or whatever, you'd be like, oh. I don't even want a dog. What the hell are you talking oh, about? Oh, goodness. No, I, I tell people, you know, when I give book talks, I say, I, I'm the last, yeah. I'm the last person I, you ever would have expected to have written this book. And I had written a previous <laughs> book about rescue dogs called Rescue Road, yes. which was really all about, you know, how these dogs come to us, you know, who are the people that are doing that incredibly difficult work of saving these dogs, particularly in the Southern states, you know, and the horrible things that they have to see. And, you know, for every dog they're able to save and find a home for up here in the North, there's thousands that they can't help. So, so you know, I never expected to be writing books about dogs, but, you know, it was my curiosity about Albie and, you know, where he came from and why he, why we had a dog from Louisiana. I didn't really even know when we adopted him that there were so many dogs up in the Northeast from the South. I mean, but I started taking him for yeah. walks and nine out of 10 people I met with dogs told me their dog was from Tennessee or Arkansas or Texas or Mississippi. And I got really curious to figure out why this was happening. And that's what set me on the road to write this book, Rescue Road. And that book took people up to the moment when these dogs are literally put in the arms of their new families. And this new book, Rescued, kind of picks it, picks it up from there and, um, you know, talks about what it's like to integrate these dogs into our lives. Well, Peter, I have had such a fantastic time. I, I mean, honestly, I, I want to ha now have another show all about dogs. Maybe we, <laughs> we should do that. Peter, in the meantime, tell us all the ways we can find you in your fantastic books. Oh, well, I mean, the book is available, you know, you can order it from any bookstore. I always encourage people, if you have a local independent bookstore, to, to shop there. But you can order it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. My website is Peter Zeitlin. It's spelled Z-H-E-U-T-L-I-N, PeterZeitlin.com. Fantastic, Peter. This has been so wonderful. I just am such a dog fanatic. I want to thank everyone for listening to Talk Healthy today. Check us out on social media at Health Media Gal One at Talk Healthy the Number Two Day on Twitter and Snapchat. Talk Healthy Today podcast on Facebook. Go rescue a dog. You will be glad you did. Thanks so much and stay well.